Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Have you ever been involved in a food fight? Anybody ever been involved in a food fight? I'm going to tell you a Matt McClay High School story. Um, some of you may have heard this one before, but um, they made a really big mistake in, in my school when I was in like 10th or 11th grade, and it was this. They decided that during our lunch period, it'd be a great opportunity for all the teachers to go to another side of the school and have their picture taken together, okay? So you've got all of us high schoolers in a cafeteria with no teachers, and I was, at my school, they had a, what was called a merit system, so you could get demerits, and if your merit level got below like a certain you know, level, they call your parents, and I was very close to the level to where they would call my parents. So I knew I had to behave, um, but then all of a sudden, a grape flew across the cafeteria. And then I distinctly remember there was a girl sitting next to me, and a pudding cup came flying through the air, and it hit her, an open pudding cup, and the pudding came all the way down, and it was like, oh my goodness. And it was literally, it was like something out of a, out of a show or a movie. Like, like at, after that moment, it was just like all sorts of pieces of food were in the air. Um, and and you think, you, things were going back and forth, and the whole time, I was almost, I don't, know if I, I don't think I was saying that out loud, but in my mind, I was just saying, Matt, don't get in trouble. Like, like you had, like one more offense and your mom's getting called. Like, I didn't care if my dad got called, but my mom, like some of y'all have moms like that. You're like, don't call my mom, call my dad. And I was so nervous and I did really well. I did really well until like everybody was participating but me. It seemed like the good kids were not. But, um, and then I noticed there were, in front of me was a full Little Caesar's hot and ready pizza. And I was, I, yeah, I kind of had this, it was one of those moments, it was like a split, couple seconds long, but it felt like this eternity type decision, in slow motion, and I decided to go for it. Um, and I, t- I picked up the pizza, and you know, Little Caesar's never cut their pizza, it was all like one big disc. So I just kind of went disc golf on it, Jackson. I was, and I just, like, threw it across the, I threw it across the school, and literally, what I didn't realize is as I was winding up, my, te- my, my one of my buddies, Brad, was saying, Matt, Mr. Page is coming through the door, and he kept saying it and saying it, and I wasn't listening to him because I was so focused on getting it across the building that literally, as soon as I go like this, I turn around, and he's staring right at me, and they called my mom. Um, I should have listened to my friend. And I should have listened to myself, right? Um, You're in church, so you know that we believe that God speaks, right? And we sometimes, just like the friend that's sitting next to us, just like the voice in our head that says, don't throw it, don't throw it, don't throw it, we tune out the voice of God in our lives sometimes, So the first thing I want you to think about as we're kind of getting into this, we're going to be here in Isaiah 1 here in a second, is does God speak? Um, Your answer to that is pretty important, but I think a lot of people have different answers to that. I think some of you would maybe say, yeah, I think God speaks, but I don't know how to find out what he said. Like, I wonder what God is actually saying. Some people say, yeah, God speaks, but I don't care. That was me for a long time. I went to a Christian school, so I heard Bible every day. I was just like, yeah, I don't really care. Um, and some people may say no. 
Like, I don't believe God speaks. Uh, but what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at a, a, a set of books in the Bible called the prophets. And the prophets are pretty cool because they literally, like God told these guys, say this. And then they went and they said it. So we have a good record of, in here of how God is speaking to people. And the main point of the lesson tonight is actually pretty simple. It's when God speaks, listen. <laughs> so pretty easy to remember, right? When God speaks, listen. Uh, so if you have your Bible, um, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And we're on week 5 of a, not, it's going to end up being an 8-week series. Week 5 of an 8-week series called Binge the Bible. I love to just kind of dig into verses and study like this verse and then the next verse and get all the information I can out of them. But sometimes it's nice to know how everything fits together in the Bible. So we're doing just like you do like a, a bingeable show on Netflix. We're binging the Bible. We're just reading it as quickly as we can so we can see the big story that's going on. If you were here a few weeks ago, Haley's dad talked to us about creation, how God created everything out of nothing and he created a perfect world. Then we talked about the fall, how as, as humans, we turned our back against God, and that's called sin. And the consequences of sin are the brokenness that we experience and see in the world. And the consequences of sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. The third week, we learned about the promise that was made. We learned about God's promise and how he promised that he would send a redeemer. He would send this person through this man named Abraham who would save the world. Then last week, we learned about this nation of Israel. We learned about all the laws. Remember how even though Israel had all the laws and how God expected them to live, they never fully followed God's law. And they kept doing really well and then turning away from God. And then God would save them. They'd do really well. And turn away from God. And that's where we find Isaiah, which is the first book of a series of books in the Bible from Isaiah all the way to the New Testament. It's like literally almost like dead center in the middle of the Bible. And these are called the prophets. This nation, Israel, God told them, if you don't keep my commandments, I will remove my hand of blessing from you. And because Israel didn't keep God's commandments, God removed his hand of blessing. He was gonna let other people come in and conquer their nation, but before he did that, he sent a warning to this nation of Israel. There are 11 books in the Bible, of these books in the Bible that contain God's warning to Israel saying, listen, I'm giving you one more chance <laughs> or else you're gonna get taken over. And those books are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. I was a Bible school champion. I have them all memorized. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Cade, for that clap of applause. Um, then there were some books written when Israel was taken over and people were the leaders were taken out of Israel to captivity, to be prisoners in Babylon. They were written during that time. And those books were Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, and Zechariah. And there's one book written after that time was over and those people were allowed to come back and it's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Each of these books, these um, 18 books, contain um, what we know as the prophets and God spoke through these guys to this nation. And we're gonna binge the prophets, 
But then there, you're going you're gonna to realize that there are a lot of lessons that we can learn today in 2022 from these prophets. So if you have your Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 1. And the, first we're going to talk about who were the prophets and what, were the, what, what, uh, what did they do. It's like on Kindergarten Cop, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Y'all, too, nobody's watched Kindergarten Cop in here. Never mind. So, Kate's watched Kindergarten Cop. Thank you, Kate. Anyway, well, who were the prophets and what did they do? Um, the first thing that we learned about the prophets is that the prophets, they looked back on what Israel had done and they, they, pretty, much, you know, they pretty much showed Israel what their sin was. God used them to tell Israel that they done messed up. So let's look in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah, we're going to kind of go through the book of Isaiah to see what the prophets did. In Isaiah chapter 1, it, it shows us an example of how the prophets looked back on what Israel had done wrong. So look at Isaiah chapter 1. It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Joth- Jotham, these names sometimes trip me up in Hebrew. Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up. He's talking about Israel. But they have rebelled against me. An ox knows its owner, a donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He's still talking about Israel. Verse 4, he says, ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, the offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. Man, that's kind of strong, isn't it? Like, like, how would you like it if somebody just walked in here and called you um, a, a sinful person, told you that you were laden with iniquity, said that you were an offspring of an evildoer? Oh, man, now you're talking about my mama. We're going to have to catch hands. And you deal corruptly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think we'd be, I think we'd be going, you know, Rocky versus Drago right here, right now, right? But what he's doing is he's, he's saying, Israel, you've messed up. You're sinning against God. And Isaiah is not the only one God used to communicate this message to Israel. We can kind of go through and look. Not all these verses are going to be on the screens. But in Hosea chapter 4, God said to Israel that they had no faithfulness, they had no steadfast love, that they were guilty of swearing, lying, murder, and bloodshed. In Amos chapter 2, verse 4, he said that he holds four things against um, the, the nation of Israel, against Judah. He says, they sell out the righteous and the needy, they trample the poor and afflicted, um, that they allow sexual sin to continue in their country, and that they're greedy people and they cheat others out of money. It keeps going in Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. God uses the prophet Malachi to say, listen, all the, guy, all the men of Israel and of Judah have started coming up with bogus, like ridiculous reasons to divorce their wives and that it's wrong. And then in Malachi chapter 3, it may be the scariest one, he accuses Israel of robbing God because they're doing everything they can to get out of giving to him what is due, their tithes and offerings. So the prophet said a lot of things, and how do you think Israel, how do you think Israel responded to that? About how you'd respond if I told you you were the offspring of a sinner. <laughs> you'd probably be a little upset too, right? And, and they didn't take it very well, but what he did was he exposed the consequences, not just the Israel's sin, but their consequences. Look at verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 1, if you're still in there. 
He says, what is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of your burnt offerings. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and sheep. Those were the sacrifices Israel went to the temple and offered to God. He said in verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations, I cannot endure the iniquity and solemn assembly. He's talking about all the religious meetings and rituals that Israel has. And he's pretty much saying, God is saying to these people, because of the sin in your hearts and you're not being willing to repent and confess of it, I don't even enjoy the worship that you're bringing to me. Uh, Verse number 15, he says, when you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He's literally talking about how they were executing injustice on people. Then he says, verse 16, wash your hands and make yourselves clean. So it's a pretty strong message, right? These prophets, the first thing they did was they made Israel look back and consider the way that they were living. But the next thing the prophets did by giving God's message to Israel is they made Israel look up. They made Israel look up and realize how great God is. So you're in Isaiah 1. Turn over two pages probably in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. This is an example of another thing the prophets did. They made Israel look up to realize how great God was. This is an incredible thing that God allowed Isaiah to be a part of. This is Isaiah writing about the experience that God gave him, and he shared this experience with Israel. Isaiah 6, 1, he says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. So Isaiah has been transported to the throne of God in heaven. Can you imagine this? Here's how he describes it. That the Lord was high and lifted up. He was in an exalted position. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So there's there's these massive creatures that are exalting and praising God, and they have six wings. And it says with, with, um, with, with two wings, they covered their feet. Um, with two wings they covered their eyes, and with two wings they flew. Have you just try to Google image search seraphim right? Yeah, not right now, but anytime, sometime. You will be artists have tried to you know, kind of like describe what they might have looked like. But essentially, what these creatures are doing that are worshiping God, the two wings that are covering their feet, um, they're covering their feet because feet were considered to be the most. I still think they are most unholy you know, part of a person's body because they're on the ground. They're you know they're dirty. The the they covered their eyes because they couldn't be. Behold, they couldn't take in the majesty of God without dying. And then with the other wings, they're flying and giving praise to God. And this is what they're saying 24-7 in heaven right now as we're meeting. Holy, holy, holy. That was a a Hebrew way of, of bringing attention to something, right? They're bringing attention to God's holiness. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then here's what else is going on in heaven. The foundations of the thresholds shook. So after these massive, scary, intimidating creatures are worshiping God, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory, there is an earthquake. Like there's a rumbling. Have you ever felt like thunder when it just slaps so hard that it's like, it, it freaks you out a little bit. And the house was filled with smoke. And how, what, how does Isaiah react? <laughs> he says, woe is me. He says, I'm in trouble. 
(laughs) I am lost. Why is he in trouble? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful guy. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. All the people I live with in Israel are sinful. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. The seraphim covered their eyes because they couldn't behold the Lord. Isaiah had seen him. He's reminding Israel how much, how holy, holy, holy God is and how sinful they are. And what's so incredible is God in this act of mercy in verse eight, it says, or excuse me, verse six, it says, one of the seraphim flew to me having his hand, in his hand a burning coal. He had taken it from the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. God made provision for Isaiah to stand in his presence, not be struck dead because God had a message for him. Then in verse eight, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, here am I, send me. So, so the prophets didn't just make Israel look back to think about the sin in their lives. They made Israel look up to remember how great God was. I mean, think about all the imagery that he relayed back to them and how holy God is. But then he also relayed to Israel how merciful God was, right? That he didn't strike him dead. And he also relayed back to Israel God's purpose for them. He says, who shall I send and who will go for me? If you remember from last week, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests to to point others to God. And he says, who shall I send and who will go for me? So the prophets reminded Israel, and they still remind us today, how big God is and how great God is. You can't fit the glory of God on a stupid Christian bumper sticker. Nothing against Christian bumper stickers, I guess. I shouldn't call them stupid. You can't, the glory of God is almost, well, it's unimaginable, but we we have pointers, we have points of reference that we can think about how great God is. So the prophets, they made Israel look back to see the sin in their country and in their lives, made Israel look up to see how great God is, but they also made Israel look forward. So we're staying in Isaiah here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11. They made Israel look forward. One thing they did was they predicted that if God, or if Israel did not turn back to God, he would allow other countries to come in and take over their land. We know from reading through, they did not turn to God, back to God, God allowed other countries to come in and take over their land. But there was a promise that was made. In in chapter 11, we see that he promised what they called a Messiah. We know who he is. But who back then, all they knew is that he was to be called the Messiah. He makes this promise. Verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Okay, what in the world does that mean? Like, what, what is a shoot from the stump of Jesse? You remember old King David? Anybody remember what his dad's name was? Jesse. You probably figured it out, right? Jesse. So he's going back to this promise that God made to David, that out of David in his line would come this redeemer, this Messiah. He says, God has not forgotten and not abandoned his promise. Out of the shoot of There will come a shoot of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will be on him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And this is important. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he'll judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. As the passage goes on, it talks about the peace that this Messiah is going to bring. It says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Anybody ever see a wolf and a lamb just hanging out, playing cards? Mm -mm. The calf will hang out with the lion. The cow and the bear will graze. What he's saying is this king, this Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up peace on earth, justice on earth. We live in a world that's full of injustice, right? He's going to set up justice on earth. We see the root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, but keep turning in Isaiah. You also see another picture of this Messiah that God gives to us, and it's in Isaiah 53. He's talking about this Messiah. This is going to get real practical real soon. Just hang on, okay? Like we're on a roller coaster going 50 miles an hour. It's going to slow down, and then we're going to get another corkscrew. It's like the big differ. Just hold on. I hope it don't fall apart. Um, Isaiah chapter 53, it's talking about this same, this same person, and they say that he's going to be a suffering servant. It says in verse 2, he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by a man, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Verse number four, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we were healed. God promised not only that this Messiah would be someone who would come as a king and set up justice, but he promised that this Messiah would come as a servant to be a sacrifice for the same sin that he was prophesying against. We know who that is, right? The righteous king, the suffering servant was, was Jesus. So the question is, how do you think the people of Israel received this message? Anybody want to venture a guess? Something along those lines, Gabe. Some of the prophets, they killed. Some of the prophets, they imprisoned. Some of the prophets, they tortured. And all of the prophets, they wouldn't listen to. And that's a lot like the way that we treat God's word today, unfortunately, many of us. We think, ah, it's nice, but we don't want to hear it. So we've kind of binged the prophets. And it's kind of like sometimes taking a drink from a fire hydrant. So now that we've thought about how the prophets looked back, how they looked up, how they looked forward to Jesus, I think there's some things that we can learn from these prophets. So let's go over a few things that we can learn from these prophets you may want to write these down. First, the prophets remind us um, that just because a sin is respectable doesn't make it right. One thing that you see in the prophets, we have time, we could really kind of tease this out, is that the people of Israel, they literally had excuses for every sin they were committing. 
Like they made religious rules like that weren't in the scripture and weren't in the Bible to explain away their greed, to explain away that the guys were like divorcing their wives just because they didn't want to be with them anymore. They had so many addition, they added so many things to scripture to try to make sin more culturally acceptable. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever played soccer, basketball, football, have you ever had to run suicides? That works. You go like this, back, then you go a little further, and back. I'm not going to do any more because you don't need to hear me huffing and puffing. But some of you have probably figured it out. You don't have to be the fastest guy on the team. You just as long as you're not the slowest guy on the team that your coach doesn't yell at you, right? And that was kind of the approach that Israel was taking. They're saying, but everybody else is doing it. Yeah, I sin, but I don't sin as bad as Christian does. I always have to pick on Christian. But I don't sin as, as bad as he does, or I don't sin as bad as she does. Some sins are like kind of culturally respected. Yeah, our culture loves to celebrate going against God's plan for sex. And I don't have to get into that very, very deep for you to understand what I'm talking about. There are shows that people watch. There are TikToks. There are things that are not glorifying to God. And our culture celebrates and in some ways respects what God calls sin. But respectable sins is, are not just out in the culture. We've kind of come up with a list of respectable sins in the church. If you're ever looking for a good book to read, it's by Jerry Bridges. He's a great author. He wrote a book called Respectable Sins. And, and he lists a, a whole list of sins that often people do, you commit in the church, but we kind of give them a pass about. Envy. Gossip. See what I'm talking about? Greed. Materialism. Pride. Envy. Those are, th- those are sins that we can commit and still look pretty good on the outside and come up with excuses that says, well, I went on a mission trip, I go to church twice a week, um, my parents think I'm awesome, my youth pastor thinks I'm awesome, even my teachers think I'm awesome, I'm good. But just because a sin is respected in culture and even if because a sin is respected in a church does not make it right. The second thing we learn, we can't spend too much time on each of them. Next thing, what we wanna hear is not always what we need to hear. We talked about this in our tag a little bit, but Israel's response to the prophets was kill them, put them in jail, torture them, talk to the hand. But I think the reason they reacted so, so like violently against these prophets is because the prophets were exposing the blind spots in their life. And you know what I've learned in my life and I've learned just being a, a pastor for you know, almost 11 years now and uh, maybe you've learned this, it's that people never want to admit that they've messed up. I never want to admit that I've messed up. But you know what God's word does? It's not the only function of God's word, but it is a function of God's word, is it exposes areas of our life that are not in line with God. And sometimes God uses people, he uses messengers like the prophets to expose those things in our life. And the first thing we usually do, instead of determine whether or not the the message is true to God's word, is we pull out our Glock and we shoot the messenger. That's usually our reaction, and that was Israel's reaction. What we want to hear is not always what we need to hear. The third thing, it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. 
You know, what's interesting to me is at the same time these prophets were preaching and preaching and giving God's word and giving God's word, literally God spoke to them and they said exactly what God said. The greatest sermons ever, right? Like, wouldn't it be awesome, like, if you were a preacher and God would literally, like, just, like, handwrite your notes. <laughs> you just sit them and read them word for word. That's literally what he said to the prophet, you know, how he worked through the prophets. And you know what's interesting is that those prophets that literally had the words from God had virtually zero followers when the religious elite leaders, the priests and these people that had made up all these man-made laws to excuse their sin, they had followers by the droves. You know, it's easy for us to do as Christians, it's easy for us to evaluate what religious leaders or what religious teachers will listen to based on the size of their following based on the clout that they have and based on like how, I guess, how cool they are, how relatable they are, when we should be determining, is this person giving me the word of God? I've got two pictures up here. The first picture is just like a big Christian concert. I don't know what it is. The second picture is a man that a few of us met um, on our scouting trip to the Dominican Republic. His name is Pastor Felix Mota. And he pastors a church in Ramon Santana in La República Dominicana. And he has about 20 people in his church. When we were there, there were like 25 people in his church because there were five of us. And I think four to five people are his family members. But what we learned and what I've known about him for years is that he preaches and he gives the word of God every week. He may not speak at passion. He may not have a podcast that has a million subscribers. But every time, I guarantee if I, if I sit in his church, I'm gonna get the word of God. The next thing, we need to keep moving. Truth is the only way our friends and family are gonna be reached. It's the only way they're gonna find freedom. Uh, it, God used some extreme measures to make these prophets speak his word. The prophet Isaiah that we read, in Isaiah chapter 20, you can go and read it. He literally had Isaiah stripped down to where he's almost naked and give his word to expose, because nakedness was associated with shame, to expose the shame that Israel was bringing on his name by living in sin. We also see um, poor, poor Jeremiah. His nickname was the weeping prophet, <laughs> and there was a reason he weeped. God had him do some really bizarre things to communicate his message. Look these up later. You can get on the refuel app and see the notes. He had Jeremiah bury his, bury his loincloth in the ground and dig it up and show it to the nation of Israel to expose how rotten they were. He had, he had Jeremiah go buy a clay jar, go to the city dump and smash it in front of everyone to show them what God would be doing to the surrounding nations. He had Jeremiah put on chains and go preach to the people saying, you're gonna be in chains because you won't listen to God. What extreme measures is God asking us to take? I mean, if Isaiah can be can have to go through the process of being stripped down and preaching. If Jeremiah can bury his loincloth and, 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 and preach holding it up and break a clay jar, I think we could share the gospel with our neighbors, right? Um, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and he said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, I struggle. This is my paraphrase. I struggle. I wish I could. He, he said, I wish I could. Um, yeah, I wish people would listen to me, but they won't. But if I shut up, I can't because it's like a fire in my bones. I have to speak the word of God. The final one, we're kind of busting through these as quick as we can. When we lose our wonder of God, we'll go looking for it in all the wrong places. 
Isaiah chapter six talks about this incredible way that God was exalted, right? And Israel had totally forgotten how great and how holy God was. So they started looking for it in worshiping idols. They started looking for it in immoral relationships, started looking for it in money. And we do the same thing. When we forget how great God is, we start pursuing false gods. We, th- we think if I can get more money, we think if I can have the right kind of boy, you, you think maybe if I could have the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend, if I could get better grades, if I could do better athletically, it'll fill that hole that's left because I'm not worshiping God the way I should. So what I want you to remember I only pretty much made it through half my lesson. We'll have to pick it up next week. What I would like you to remember is that Jesus is the last and final word of God. We don't have time to turn there. Revelation chapter five. Remember how I talked about Isaiah, you prophesied that Jesus would be the root of uh, the, the, the root that came up from Jesse, how he would be the suffering servant, the lamb that was slain. In Revelation chapter five, all the saints are gathered around and they are waiting to see who can open the scroll. And the angel says, fear not, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, can open the scroll. And Jesus is portrayed as also as the lamb who is slain. He is the one that the prophets point to. And I do want you to see this verse. It's gonna be on the screen. Hebrews chapter one. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, <laughs> See, when you know the Old Testament, the New Testament comes to light. When it's talking about many ways, you start to realize all the many ways that God used the prophets, right? <laughs> Some really bizarre ways. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things through whom he created the world. We won't always read in this book things that make us happy. There will be times when through reading the Bible, through hearing a message at church, we are convicted of sin. We have two choices. We can respond the way that Israel responded and just say, I don't wanna have it. Or we can come to God and say, God, I confess my sin. Restore my relationship with you. Make me right with you. It's not always easy to stand for God's word in a culture that does not accept God's word. So I'm gonna leave you with a story and then we're gonna pray and get out of here. I didn't even make it to my application points. We'll put them up on the screen when, we, when we're done um, after we pray. Um, in the third century, um, the church was very small and there was a, a leader in the church, his name was Athanasius. If you've ever heard of a guy named Athanasius. But um, he, there, there was some false doctrine being circulated. There were pastors and church leaders going around teaching things that were contrary to God's word, specifically that Jesus was not God. And unfortunately, that teaching started to get very popular during that time. And, 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 and Athanasius was the only one who was willing pretty much to speak up about it. And Somebody came up to Athanasius to try to get him to tone down his talk a little bit. Say, listen. And this is what they said to him. Athanasius, the world is against you. And Athanasius is famous for a very short quote in response to that. They said, the world is against you. And he said, Athanasius, contra mundum. If the world is against me because I'm standing for God, Athanasius against the world. I believe we're kind of coming up to a moment where, as a Christian, you may feel like the world is against you. 
The question is, can you fill your name in the blank there next to that quote by Athanasius to where if it's just you standing for God, are you willing to do it? So I guess that's the application point tonight. Consider that question. Uh, So we're going to pray and we're going to get out of here. It's getting a little late. So uh, we're going to do our circle prayer um, when we leave. And here's uh, the way I want to do the circle prayer tonight. If you're going to be taken to ACT this weekend, come up to the front so we can pray for you. If you're going to be taking the ACT this weekend, come on up to the front so that we can pray for you. If you're taking ACT, you need prayer, right? So if you're taking ACT, come on up so we can pray for you. Come on up here. All right, now everybody else come up and put your hand on one of these awesome ACTers. We're going to pray that they fill in the right bubbles. Come on in. Come on in. (laughs) All right. All right, let's pray. Um, God, thank you for bringing us together tonight. And God, I pray that we will remember that um, what you say is all that matters. Um, When you speak, we must listen. Um, God, I pray uh, for... um, uh, this group here that's going to be taking the ACT on Saturday. And it's kind of intimidating thinking about it and thinking about how it plays into college and things in the future. But God, I pray that you will remind each of them that your plan for their life is so much bigger than a score. I pray they'll prepare. I pray that they'll do well. I pray that you'll bring back things to their remembrance that they studied and even help them through things that are kind of new to them and they didn't think would be on the test. Uh, But God, I pray that even more importantly than that, that you'll give them a peace in knowing that you're in control of their lives, Uh, knowing that you have a great future and a great plan for them. And God, I pray that as as they're taking the test and as they're um, looking past high school, God, that you you will show them just uh, just how great you can work through someone who has totally surrendered to you. Uh, So God, I pray that you'll be with them this weekend. I pray that you'll give them strength and confidence in you and give them peace in their hearts. And I pray that you'll go with us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.